Inevitably, Doug Henwood, we need to start with the debacle that was the Iowa caucus. Even as we speak, five days after the first contest of the 2020 presidential primaries, the Associated Press is still only reporting 99% of the results. Pete Buttigieg is suddenly in the lead with 13 delegates over Bernie Sanders' 12, despite losing the popular vote by several thousand. And there's been much talk, of course, about this now infamous app that was used to record and convey the results from each precinct. What's your take on all of this? Well, it's quite the mess, isn't it? Uh, and you know, just uh, just to start, the um, the allocation of delegates uh, is, is just a classic bit of American politics because the rural counties are overweighted. Um, so even though... Uh, Buttigieg seems to have lost the popular vote or is very closely tied. Um, he gets more delegates. Uh, and that's just the way this whole country works. You know, the Senate is based on that principle. Uh, the Electoral College is based on that principle. Um, all the, um, the people who live in, in, in you know, the backwoods get uh, more of a vote than someone who lives in the city. And it's just uh, pervasive in our political culture. But the, uh, the caucus itself was such a disaster. And you know, it's just very easy uh, to uh, fall into a conspiracy theory of the whole thing, because the app was developed by a bunch of very mainstream Democrats uh, and uh, funded in part by the Buttigieg campaign. Um, and just it's kind of mysterious that things uh, got so messed up. Um, it's also uh, strange uh, that uh, Buttigieg declared victory before a single vote was counted. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's a piece in National Review, the conservative magazine, um, the other day that said, uh, or on their website, that said, uh, I don't know, I feel like I'm, we're, we're experiencing a coup. There was something very strange about the whole thing. Uh, but, you know, it's only the first um, episode in a long, or first act of a long drama that's going to be running uh, probably for a few more months. Um, we've got New Hampshire coming up and then uh, Super Tuesday. and the, the whole process is just a circus. It's undemocratic and degrading and uh, just so pervaded by big money. Um, it's, it's really just a parody of democracy. Well, and that very much brings me on to my next question, which is that in the wake of Iowa and in, in the knowledge that the Democratic National Committee is very likely to do everything in its power to ensure Sanders doesn't win the nomination, just as it heavily favoured Hillary Clinton in the 2016 primaries. Can Sanders supporters be forgiven for thinking, why bother? The game is rigged. Uh, better to invest our energies in social movement building and forget about this election nonsense. Or is that being too cynical and too defeatist? Uh, in the final analysis, is it really possible for Bernie Sanders to win the nomination? Or is the American left wasting its time and effort uh, that might be better spent elsewhere? Well, that's the $64 million question. Uh, I was skeptical to some degree uh, from starting several months ago when uh, many of my colleagues in DSA and uh, on, on the broad left um, were uh, wanting to put 100% of their eggs into the Bernie Sanders basket. I thought that was a little risky because like, the presidency is the bourgeoisie's office. It is most powerful office in the world. American power is eroding, but it still, I guess, qualifies as that. And uh, they don't, uh, they're very serious about keeping it theirs. And uh, it's just, it was striking to me how the Republican Party was unable to uh, uh, stop its insurgent, Donald Trump, from winning the nomination. But the Democratic Party, maybe, you know, even though it can't win elections, it probably can, uh, it looks like it's um, going to be um, putting up a big fight to keep its insurgent, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, from winning the nomination. 
Uh, I, they are going to do everything they can to stop him. Um, my uh, friends who are deeply involved in the campaign have not yet gotten discouraged. Um, I'm kind of a, you know, just a, a passive fellow who sits on the sidelines and comments. I'm not actually knocking <laughs> doors or anything like that. But uh, my wife does that. And uh, I don't see any flagging of dedication or effort. Uh, and I think a lot of people have taken the attitude that New Hampshire was kind of a one-off debacle. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true. I, I think the, de- the Democratic establishment is going to do everything it can to stop Sanders. Uh, and one of the things that was most interesting about the 2016 campaign was the way all these mainstream Democrats had to reveal themselves as anti-left. They would always play this game. Oh, it would be so nice if we could have better social benefits, you know. But the Republicans would let us do it. And so finally they get this um, very dynamic social Democrat, uh, Sanders, uh, uh, promoting policies that many of them you know, kind of claimed they wanted. And then they had to say, no, we don't want that. Uh, so it became clear that the, the mainstream of the Democratic Party doesn't want universal health care coverage. They don't want free college tuition. They don't want anything like a modestly expanded welfare state. We're not even talking about you know, a Scandinavian-sized welfare state here. It's just something other civilized countries have, like a, a universal public health system. Um, but uh, that's too much even for them. And uh, it's been fascinating to watch the uh, democratic establishment mobilize against it now in 16 they had the advantage of having just one not sanders candidate uh, uh bernie came out of nowhere if you ever look at his, his announcement video from um when he was uh, starting his campaign back in 2015 i guess it was there was like 12 people there like who came to listen to him no one had any idea that he's going to become this phenomenon uh this time around of course he is a phenomenon but he's not running against just one establishment candidate <clears throat> There are several of them, and it's uh, hilarious to watch uh, the Democratic establishment. Uh, like, first, it's all Biden, and he's their man, and now he's revealing himself to be a, a bit of a doddering old fool, uh, and uh, with a very embarrassing um, uh, past on, on issues like crime and welfare. Um, so they're running away from him, it seems, and now they're putting all their uh, support behind Pete Buttigieg, a Uh, a cipher, really, who has nothing to say, who uh, has uh, been mayor of, I think it's the 308th largest city in the U.S. Uh, uh, He's now the ex-mayor, but he was the mayor of that city, Uh, and no other experience, um, and um, other than, you know, dragging his automatic weapon around Afghanistan and doing God knows what there. So um, he's just, everything he says is like a platitude, Um, but he's their hope now. uh, you know, I... Yeah, if I could ask you to tease that out a bit further, Doug, because it seems to me there's a real desperation on the part of the Democratic Party establishment as to who is going to be their favoured candidate. As you said, Biden was very much uh, uh, the favoured choice. It seems now he's dead in the water. Indeed, he's become a walking embarrassment, I would have thought. He's, he's almost certainly uh, senile. Uh, Buttigieg uh, is the flavour of the month. But then, of course, also there's the multi-billionaire former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, uh, waiting in the wings, and maybe even the possibility of uh, them switching back to Elizabeth Warren as well, the so-called progressive candidate, which might uh, be in some sense a compromise candidate from their their point of view. So where are they going to go? There is a kind of a, a flailing desperation to it all, it seems to me. Yeah, it is. And I think you know, it's, a, it's partly a matter of personnel. I mean, the Democrats have lost so many offices uh, at the lower level uh, of, uh, since, uh, the, since Obama's inauguration, since the 2010 election. Um, so they don't have you know, the governors uh, who might be waiting in the wings as, as plausible candidates. They just have a, they don't have a very deep bench in, in, in just in personnel terms. But also the ideology is just dead. I think the, the Hillary loss in 16 proved that that kind of centrist Democratic ideology has no appeal to 
anyone outside uh, a certain slice of the professional managerial class. Uh, Hillary, of course, had all the, the middle-aged uh, feminist women um, uh, as part of her support base, but you know, Warren got some of that, but she's been fading. Um, she, she's, uh, she has done an awful lot of dumb things in this campaign. I don't think she's a very skilled politician. Uh, Buttigieg doesn't look like a guy who's got uh, staying power, although who knows. Um, and Bloomberg, you know, this guy's got over $50 billion to play with. Uh, he could uh, spend hundreds of millions of dollars and not notice it. You know, it'd be like the rest of us spending $20 for, you know, having a sandwich or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's, um, and you now his politics are pretty mainstream kind of Democrat. You know, he's non-ideological. Uh, he, I, been, I was in New York this whole time as he was mayor and, um, he, uh, ran a rather racist, uh, police department, but <laughs> got a par for the course. He is a competent manager. I'll say that for him, but he also presided over um, a massive wave of gentrification here. Um, the, the advantage he has compared to the rest of the crew is that he's one of the few uh, mainstream figures of any weight who takes climate change seriously. Um, and he, I think he takes it more seriously than anybody else in the Democratic field other than Sanders. But aside from that, you know, he'd just be business as usual. But what would be striking is if this guy could enter the race uh, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, he's not an unknown figure, but he doesn't have you know, long political story behind him, uh, enter the race and just use hundreds of millions of dollars of his own personal money to buy the nomination and possibly the presidency. Uh, that would be, uh, I suppose, symbolic uh, of what's happened uh, to um, American plutocracy over the last few decades, but uh, it still would be a, a sick symptom of something very, very wrong. Uh, but you know the Democratic Party and the Democratic establishment is so eager to stop anything that resembles even mild social democracy that uh, uh, this this billionaire can actually um, you know actually take uh, pull it off. If there's no conclusive results out of the primaries and they go to the convention with no uh, clear winner uh, and there's no uh, nominee on the first ballot, then anything can happen. Uh, the Democratic Party leadership is in complete control of the process um, after uh, after that stage. They could do whatever they want to, and they could nominate Bloomberg or you know, Hillary Clinton or anybody that uh, uh, their little heart uh, leaps for. Now, coming back to an aspect of a previous question that for all of its excitement, for all the wonderful possibilities opened by having a self-declared socialist run for the presidency, one of the dangers, it seems to me, of the Sanders campaign is, is not getting the balance right between purely electoral canvassing on the one hand and building those vital social movements on the other, whether that's Black Lives Matter, anti-fracking campaigns, climate change, anti-eviction efforts and so forth. You've said that you're sort of on the sidelines yourself and there's no doubt all kinds of furious debates happening about these sort of questions, but how do you think uh, that the American left can, can square that circle? Well, I do worry about what happens if Sanders loses, which I think is more likely than not. Uh, will all the energy that's been building for the last uh, several years on, on the left, you know, that brought the Democratic Socialists of America to 60,000 members, all that, uh, the, the people running for office at all levels, you know, the, the mobilization around local issues, local offices as well as this national campaign. I, I hope that doesn't all dissipate if Sanders loses. Uh, now, I, there, there are people who say that, you know, that, that electoral work and movement building work exist in opposition to each other. What the last four or five years uh, has shown me is that that's not necessarily true. Uh, a lot of people have uh, developed broader political movements uh, through the uh, catalyst of, of the Sanders campaign. 
uh, it did draw a lot of people into politics uh, and also who are involved in, in local issues, local offices. And you know, I thought all along that it seemed best for a, a left to start low uh, at you know, city councils and state legislatures and things like that, where you can actually win um, with just knocking on doors and, and, uh, and modest budgets and uh, you don't have to have all that expensive TV advertising, all that crap that characterizes the, the modern political campaign. Um, but uh, on the other hand, there does seem to be a synergy going on here between the Sanders campaign and those local efforts. Uh, and this campaign, uh, the Sanders campaign, is bringing uh, uh, mostly young people from all over uh, to Canvas in Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, and in the Super Tuesday states. And they develop connections uh, and networks that way uh, that uh, could survive the election. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I think uh, it, it's hard to say what's what, but I, I used to think that um, the election might be a distraction, but now I think it, it also can promote that kind of organizing and uh, local activity that you're talking about. Finally, Doug Henwood, there's an enormous amount of water to go under the bridge between now and the Democratic Party convention in July, and indeed between now and the presidential election itself in November. But who do you think is currently placed as the best candidate most likely to beat Trump? Is it indeed Bernie Sanders, as many of his supporters would maintain? Well, I'm feeling pessimistic uh, that uh, Trump is going to get reelected. Uh, he, the economy is in relatively good shape, and uh, you know, it's got all kinds of structural issues. But you know, the economy, by conventional measures, is in, is in pretty good shape. Uh, and there's immense disarray among the Democrats. Now, I think uh, uh, that uh, Sanders may be the best position to beat Trump because he's got. Uh, something that Trump also has this this kind of you know just cut through the nonsense personality, uh, and that's what appeals to people. Uh, whereas you know, Buttigieg is completely empty. Uh, the other Democrats, uh, uh, Biden comes with immense amounts of baggage, uh, and is pretty charmless. Uh, so just in you know it's just political figures, um, just as personalities. Uh, uh, Sanders is is better equipped, I think, than than the, the rest of the field. Uh, Trump would make mincemeat of uh, uh, some of the other candidates. Um, he would make uh, what well, he calls Bloomberg mini Mike. Um, <laughs> uh, mini Mike gets under Trump's skin because Mike says that Trump isn't really a billionaire, which really annoys him. Uh, so the <laughs> right. comic effect having this battle between. One, two billionaires or one and a half billionaires is <laughs> amusing, but um, he's he's also not a very appealing personality, and his agenda is not very appealing. So I think Sanders has a whether American public will buy this mild social democracy is always an issue, but he is in many ways a stronger candidate just on the strength of his personality, but also because he, he actually stands for something. Um, the other, you know, the rest of the Democratic field is uh, just selling themselves as the not Trump. And uh, you know, Trump is a repellent figure, but uh, you, need, you can't beat something with nothing. And a lot of the other candidates are just nothing in comparison uh, to, to the you – know, Steve Bannon once described uh, Trump as a force of nature. And I think uh, that there's some truth to that. And uh, you can't uh, – some tepid centrist – uh, or empty suit like Mayor Petey. Um, you, you can't beat a force of nature with that. Whereas Sanders you know, has demonstrated that he has incredible force of, of personality and consistency. So uh, it's, it's certainly um, a long shot in many ways, but uh, the, 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 the cautious strategy of the mainstream Dems, I think, is, is bound to lose. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a depressing prospect. But, you know, the, the broader issues is this kind of Trumpian politics, 
this right-wing nationalist Yahoo uh, reactionary crap. It's you know it's a worldwide phenomenon, uh, and uh, it just feels like you know there's there's certainly larger forces at work here than just this this personality and this uh, uh, the, the, the particulars of this presidential campaign. It's something really um, disturbing going on at a world level, and uh, I just hope that uh, we can begin the task of beating that uh, historical wave uh, here uh, in, in November, but it's a long shot.